0: creative journey it's easy to get lost but don't worry you'll lift off sometimes you just need a creative pep talk hey you're listening to the creative pep talk podcast i'm your host andy j pizza Pizza. Pizza. have you ever felt like no matter what you add to your work no matter how many different kinds of layers and effects and ideas and all of that, like you've added so many different things to your work. You have tried to exist and create and like destroy, like be incredible on every single level that you possibly can. But no matter how hard, you try to elevate your work and and break free from the pack that it doesn't ju- it just doesn't seem to add up to anything that you're looking for it doesn't actually make the work better it doesn't get the work noticed nobody is even noticing all the layers that this thing is firing on if you've ever been in that scenario that's what we're going to talk about today what to do when you feel like i've i've tried putting so much into my work, but in some ways it just seems worse than ever. If that's you, if you're there, it feels overworked and it's not working, this episode's for you. Oh, and here's a little teaser promise. If you stick around to the end of the episode where we get to the call to adventure, I will tell you what I would do if coolness didn't exist. If, if being cool wasn't a thing or something that quote-unquote mattered in the in the world especially in the art world i'm going to tell you what i would do yeah so juicy huh okay stick around and uh uh, i'll promise i'll get to that uh, by the end of this As an illustrator, there have been these points in my creative journey where I feel really frustrated that I have tried everything that I can think of. I have added every layer that I can to my work, but it doesn't seem to be helping. It doesn't actually feel like anybody is noticing that the work is getting better or deeper or more layered. And... I can get stuck in these ruts where I try to just add more and more layers to construct and craft the perfect image as an illustrator. You know, I can add a personal layer and a fashionable layer and a marketable layer and a conceptual layer and a political layer. And I'm, you know, I'm adding all these layers of meaning and aesthetic and winking to the audience about, you know, where my influences are coming from, and all these different layers to create the perfect image. But a lot of times what ends up happening when i try that hard in the work uh, i get the opposite like it doesn't connect on a deeper level it actually feels overworked and it feels worse off than not trying at all and it's easy to then fall into the rut of just being like well the work is often better when i don't try so i'm just gonna phone it in but I've found that that, too, doesn't lead to the kind of connection with other people that I'm looking to find through the work that that I'm after. And so what do you do? Now, I don't know about you, but for me personally, it's often pretty difficult to get outside of myself and see myself at enough of a distance to... Uh, to give myself good advice in that way. It kind of feels like uh, Alice from Alice in Wonderland where she's like, I give myself good, very good advice, but I very, very very seldom take it. And I feel like that often. Um, you know, I give myself advice. I I pump myself up. I'm like, you just need to make it better. You just got to add another layer to it. But from the outside, if I can get enough distance, I can see that adding another layer, to make it an even more perfect image isn't what is needed to get what I am after, what I, what I need from the creative work that I make. And sometimes the only way to get that outside perspective is by tapping into story. It's one of the reasons why on this show I'm always talking through analogy and metaphor and, and referencing pop culture stories and movies and all that kind of stuff is because For me, story is a bit of like a religion. Like I think about it kind of like mythology and and how people have used stories throughout time. And if you want to get some perspective on your own life, I think a really good tool for doing that is through the lens of story. And I'm no scientist, but I've heard scientists talk about how when you watch a story, you have this thing in your brain called a mirror neuron. And it makes you feel like you are the hero of the story. You're experiencing what they're experiencing. And, and so you're doing two things at once. You're both experiencing it like it's you, but you're also sitting back and watching it play out with a distance that you can't have with your own life, at least within the moment. Like in hindsight, sometimes we can see like where we got it wrong, but usually in the moment, it's pretty difficult to see what we're missing. And so for me, the best tool is to consume stories and be mindful about what are the stories that are really hitting me on that visceral level where there's a part of my psyche that is connecting to it in a way that goes beyond logic. You know what I mean? Because the logic side is the part of your ego or your conscious mind that is the one stuck in a problem that they can't fix. But the emotional side, uh, there's a resonance to the things that speak to where we're at. And if we'll lean into those stories, I think, For me personally, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot from that practice. And recently, I felt that struggle where it didn't matter what layer I added to perfect the perfect creative practice, um, not unlike making a picture and adding the perfect layer to my illustration to construct the perfect image that it didn't matter what layer I put on. It just wasn't what I wanted it to be. And I found myself kind of searching back in my mind for a story that kind of got at how that frustration felt. And the story that came to mind was the movie Greece. Now, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, we watched Greece with my 14-year-old. And if you have a teenager or you ever had a teenager, you probably know what it feels like to like watch classic movies with your teen. Like there's a part of it that is just extremely enjoyable. It's like watching it for the first time through their eyes. And that's really cool, especially when you're sharing, you're only trying to share the cream of the crop. Uh, but there's another side too, with the way that the world progresses and, and cha- and times change where there are just things that are super cringy or way worse than that. And Greece has a lot of those. And so I was excited to show it to her because, uh, she's in a musical right now and she's big into the theater musical world. And I just knew that in some way she was going to love it. And I knew there were things that were kind of out of date, uh, but I didn't, <laughs> It's so funny. Like we tried to watch the office with her and it's like, Oh man. And that's a new show relatively speaking, but it's got just some stuff that did not age well. And it's hard to sit there. I feel like it's like watching. It's the equivalent of watching sex scenes when you're a teenager sat next to your parents and you're like, Oh God, this is awful. That's what it feels like to watch these things with um, just concepts that didn't Didn't age well. And so Greece has a lot of those. And so I'm acknowledging that at the top as we dive into this story of Greece. It's imperfect to say the least. But I think that the core of the story has something to teach us here. And one thing that I've done as I engage in stories this way is I've realized that. We all know that great stories have a lot of tension. Like, you got to build the tension. That's what keeps you engaged in the story. And I've heard a lot about how that tension is in the external world of, oh, man, we've got to get the elixir. We've got to get the the blueprint for the death star like it's all riding on this like whatever it is whatever the rising action is there's this tension that keeps us glued to the seat to see what's going to happen next i think that's all real but i've noticed in myself that the stories that really profoundly impact me tend to be have a different layer a different layer of tension which is a tension within myself because most stories start with a hero that you're rooting for But they're going after something you know that they don't need or that is not good for them and so you have this inner tension right at the start most heroes when they go after something you know that there's something about what they're going after or how they're going after it that isn't going to work or it's, it's not going to play out well, or it's not going to be for the greater good, or it's not going to be good for them. It's not going to give them what they think they need. But at the same time, you're rooting for them because you're like, you yeah, have this inner tension. And it, even better, often, the same is true for the villain, where the villain, you know, like you're rooting against them but there's also something about what they want that has a good villain that you relate to. You're like, I kind of get why you're doing this, but you're kind of going about it the wrong way. Um, and sometimes even if you're watching like an anti-hero story, you can be truly kind of rooting for, uh, the villain and there's tension there too. Cause you're like what they're trying to accomplish is bad, but also they're the hero of this. I guess that's not an anti-hero. I don't, it's i don't i don't know it's it's kind of in that realm though and that's the tension that i think we often feel on a deeper level with great stories is we want them to succeed but we're also like but do we cuz we know it's not really going to be good for them and in the movie grease what i think danny wants is i think he wants to be cool i think that's his top priority at the start of the movie and the problem is he meets this girl that he's so hot for that he loses his cool that he can't help but be uncool around her because he's so crazy about her and so he's trying to navigate how do i stay cool and be with sandy and if you haven't seen the movie i mean I, i don't know it's a little out of date in some ways but it's also kind of a classic um it's definitely got some bad ideas in it, but what he ends up finding out, you realize like you can't root for him to stay cool. Even though John Travolta in this movie at this time was in the like zeitgeisty cross section of like the, I mean, he's just so cool in that movie that you're like, yeah, but, yeah, you're you're letting cool get in the way of the thing that you need, um, but you're so. But you're also, but you're so cool. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to lose that. So you have this inner tension, right? But it's obvious as the movie progresses that all of these layers that John Travolta, Danny Zuko, in the movie, has added to his self. The sunglasses, the leather jacket, the tight white shirt, the tight jeans, the grease in his hair, like all these layers that he is adding to construct the perfect image of who he is. Uh, Why is he doing that? He's doing that to connect with others, to fit in, to be like everybody else, to be what they value. But those layers are not helping him construct the perfect image that is going to attract the kind of connections that he wants. Each one of those layers is just another thing in between him and the person that he wants, the one that he wants, the one that he, wants, one that he needs. Ooh, that that ooh, ooh, ooh. Right, like all those layers that he's adding for connection are the same things that are get the obstacles in between the, the true connection that he needs. And I wonder if the same isn't true for our creative work. A lot of times, you know, we, w- there's so many things that we add. There are the, the personal layers, the, the fashionable layers, the marketable layers, the conceptual layers, the political layers, all those layers that we add to construct the perfect image of us as a creator, no matter what kind of art you make, or literally to the images that you make, we add so many, uh, Uh, attractive layers to the process that we forget that all of these layers are stacking upon themselves and getting in between us, actually connecting with anybody, which is why we started doing this in the first place. And so if you are in a place where you are feeling like no matter what you add to the work you're doing, it's just not adding up to the connection you're looking for. Maybe you got to do what Danny Zuko did, which is ditch all the layers, get back to what he actually wants, what he actually needs, and be authentically true to that thing, even if it risks you being uncool, losing social status or or capital, uh, because in my opinion, and in my experience, both as a creator and a consumer, those are the artists that have that deep resonance, the people that are uh, so hot and passionate for something that they will risk being uncool. And so I think that the point of the movie and the point that I'm trying to make, it's in the movie, it's in the songs right from the start, where even in the song Grease, at the top of the movie, which I didn't realize was written by one of the Bee Gees, but it makes total sense. It sounds like a Bee Gees tune. That song, uh, I think says the point of the movie, which is we have to be who we are. And to me, it's this idea of connection and, and fitting in and going together not because we're the same, not because we're with these interchangeable parts, but because we're more like puzzle pieces, like that analogy where what makes you fit is how you're different. And if you're afraid to let go of the perfect image that you've crafted to fit into the T-Birds or the pink ladies, uh, you are not going to ever fit in on the level that you long for because you long to fit in because of your difference, not of because of your sameness, not because of your coolness. And so... So, uh, and even at the end of the movie, when they've all kind of come out of their individual closets, as it were, as you know, different types of people, they sing a song about, we go together, um, like all these nonsense words and they even say we're one of a kind and it's at the end, there's, instead of it being pink and black and in this binary, all there's all these colors and there's all this um, life and personality and differences and they've all owned who they are. And I think that the same goes for you in your various creative genres and scenes and markets, you have to at some point allow yourself to break the rules of the pack in order to find the kind of connection and, and fit in the way that you're looking for. Um, and I, and I love, I love to see it. I, uh, there's a song that, um, I was talking about in an interview that we recorded. I don't think we've released yet. Um, recently by an artist Indigo D'Souza, who I'm just a huge fan of him. I'm a huge fan. My daughter's a fan. My wife is a fan. She, Sophie was showing me, um, uh, she got me into the new single. We were, I, I was a already a huge fan of the previous album, but I hadn't found a space to listen to the new single, which is a ballad. And it's so it's everything cool. That's cool about Indigo D'Souza, but it also is just this heart wrenching, authentic heart on your sleeve ballad. And it builds into this just very not indie, not hip, not all these trappings of the genre that she's been a part of, It just comes out in this singing, this authentic, belting cry about um, how big her love is. And it just, that, I was already a fan. That moment, that was the, uh, that was the, the, um, the end of the movie, Grease, Danny looking like a jock and Sandy looking like, I don't know what the name is for it, but coming out uh, looking like all slick and cool. That was the moment for me where I went from a a huge fan of this person to a super fan. And I had to listen to all of the interviews I could find and the live recordings and send it to my father-in-law and he got into it. And it was that moment of deep, raw, Authenticity, you know, she'd learned all the rules and then forgot them and let go of them and let herself shine through the work, even if it's at the risk of being uncool. Um, And I don't think it's cool. I don't think it was cool. I I would use a lot of other words to describe it. And I think to me, that's what I'm after as a creator. here is your creative call to adventure today it is a we at the end of every episode Every episode we try to give you something that you can put to practice so that the episode is just not like an idea that made you feel good but it's something you could do that could have an effect on your creative practice so today we're going to do a, the call to adventure is going to be you've heard this idea probably where you do this thought experiment that says what would you do if money weren't a thing? And I think it's a powerful practice. I, I feel like you got to add stuff to it because money is a, is a thing. Uh, I think you got to bring it into reality. But I think it's a powerful uh, experience. But something I hadn't heard before is like rather than say, what would you do if currency wasn't a thing? I think it's powerful to ask yourself, what would you do if social currency wasn't a thing? What would you do if cool wasn't a thing? It didn't exist. It didn't matter. That's the call to adventure today. I want you to ask yourself, I want you to ground yourself back in who you are. And and the thing is, is that cool is a thing. Cool is a thing. And it is a currency. And I think it matters. I don't think you can ignore it. I think you have to know, I think it, it, there's something Interesting and, and important about Danny Zuko in 1978 when that movie came out, there was something so cool about that character and about um, Olivia Newton John at that time. Like when when she's about to come out fully clad in her new look, I was so pumped. I uh, I didn't give it away. But I told my daughter, I was like, do you even know what happens? And she's like, no. And I I was like, oh, man, she's about to see Sandy D turn into Sandy the stunner, and it's going to blow her mind. And and it did. And it was this crazy thing. So I I actually think cool is, I think you could dive into that and find some really interesting, powerful human things that get to an unconscious desire for something that's needed in the culture. I think that there's, I think there's cool things about coolness. Okay. But I th- I feel like sometimes what happens is somebody being their authentic self becomes cool. And then the cool thing to do or, or the temptation of cool is then to mirror yourself after that person. And that's uncool. That's like the least cool thing you can do. Right? So if cool wasn't a thing, it's a good experience it's a good thought experiment to say what if social currency didn't exist? What if cool wasn't a thing? What would you do creatively? What would you make? And we've talked about this analogy in the past, this idea of both houses uh t- two of the three houses that we've lived in uh, have had these floors where we ripped up the carpet, and there was another layer of carpet. And I joked in a previous episode, like, "What did we do? We uh, threw down a fresh coat of carpet um, on top of those two layers of carpet." No, that's not what you do. You got to ground yourself. You got to get back to. You got to strip it back. You got to get back to. You don't need to add new. You need to get to true, like the the hardwood floors. But what if there's not going to be hardwood floors under all of them? What What are you going to do? You're still going to strip it back first, okay, even if we're not going to leave it there. So I want you to strip it back to uncool before you make it cool, okay, because I think translating it could be interesting, and how do you do this? So one example that I've seen out there in the real world is uh, that's practical, Uh, Indigo D'Souza is a great example, but one that's a little bit more practical is Nancy Duarte, who I've talked about on the show. She has one of the biggest TED Talks of all time, which is essentially about how to give TED Talks. And um, it's kind of meta, but uh, it's, it's her talking about how to give great presentations because that's her expertise. That's what her agency has helped people do for years and years. And I ran across an anecdote about how them... Becoming an agency that designs presentations is about the least cool thing that you could do. Like I don't know if you've ever heard designers who get stuck designing PowerPoints and and Keynotes and and presentations and Google Slides and all that kind of thing. People that get stuck in that zone mostly hate it. They mostly hate designing presentations. It's one of the least cool things. Like you want to design a beer label. You you know you you want to design a dope logo. You, want, you know, all these other there's a million other things. Uh, you want to design the brand for ChatGPT. Uh, that brand is pretty pretty dope. And I saw people talking about that recently, but very few people want to design PowerPoints. You know what I mean? Uh, But that's actually why they went into it because they had an interest in presentations. Nancy Duarte had an interest and a passion for presentations even though nobody else seemed to. And and instead of that being the reason to shy away, it became the reason to do it. That's the gap in the market. And, And you'd be blown away by how many times I've had conversations with creators and I'm like, oh, you're super into this, you're super into that, you're super into whatever it is, you should do that in your work. You should inject that in your work and then them say, yeah, nobody does that in my scene. And I'm like, yeah. That's the exact reason you should do it. It, Because that is what will give you a niche that will make you different. And when I started this podcast, that was one of the things. Like, There was a time, you're not going to believe this, kids. There was a time when creative self-help, especially creative career self-help, was not cool. And the, the truth is, it's like my dad's mustache. I'll be doing it long after it's not cool. I'm sure who knows if we're in that territory now, why? Cause it's my authentic thing. I don't have that creative quote unquote mustache because it's in it's uh, it, I've heard it fashion talked about like a broken clock. Like it's exactly on time twice a day. Like the mustache will come and go in fashion. And when it's hot, it's you're in man. And when it's not, you're you and there's not, there's no downside and, and I think that that's kind of what it's about when you try to double down on who you are and, and and think about what would it, what would I be? What would I do if there was no such thing as cool? What kind of songs would I do? Would I do a gut-riching ballad that sounds like a religious song? um Like what, what would I do? And then I think don't stop there because it's kind of like chasing your dreams. We've talked about on the show a few times how daydreams need interpreted just like nighttime dreams do because they don't really contain fully reality and the same goes for your, your daydreams, but the same goes for this. So start with ripping off all the layers, get rid of the sunglasses, get rid of the cigarette, get rid of the, you know, all the stuff that you're trying to add to your work to be cool. Get back to the grounding of what is the foundation of why I'm doing this? What do I care about? Uh, And then ask yourself, Then once you feel like if, if cool wasn't a thing, I would do this. You don't have to stay there. I'm not going to tell you just go be super uncool. You get to ask yourself, like, are you just going to polish the concrete floor under there? Like, are you going to own it and just, you know, lean into what's great about it? Fine. Um, If you feel like you can't do that, are you going to put some hardwood floors down? Are you going to go back to school and, 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 get a new degree and spend all the money and do this thing right you could do that, but you could also do some vinyl plank and uh, it looks pretty much like hardwood floor. There's some really good stuff out there. You can go teach yourself whatever this is and learn the skills and and de- develop the label of whatever it is you want to do. Um, it, there's a billion different ways to, to attack this thing, but you don't have to just say, oh, I want to be an artist, so I have to be an artist. You can be like graphic designer, quote unquote graphic designer. Jeff McFetridge, um, who kind of started the movement that I feel like my work is a part of. And he did a whole talk uh, for the do lectures that was about how he calls himself a graphic designer, but he's actually a, an artist. And there's, that's a branding thing. That's a layer of carpet that he put on that to say, this label, this Jug fits the creative juice in a way that's really interesting and helpful to me. And I think it's fine to make choices around that, that help it be accessible and and meet the goals that you're after and stay cool. If that's what it, what it takes. And I think the same goes for people like Derek Delgadio, who I'm a big fan of. And, and, you know, he, he, I think he kind of wishes people thought of him as a writer, but he also has made peace with the fact that people think of him as a magician where I think of him as like a a uh, one-man show performer and and writer, an amazing writer. Um, But he knows that the cup is the the magic that he does, and that's how people are going to think of him, and I think that's fine. I think you can actually do that on purpose. I think it's good to remember that people judge books by their cover. Um, Should they? No. Do they? Yes. And if you know that information, design the cover so that they'll read the title, so that they'll go through the hierarchy of flipping it over, reading the back then reading the flap then reading the first sentence and getting them hooked on the thing to the people that you're trying to communicate with i think all of that is relevant and interesting and you can decide like am i going to polish the concrete am i going to add wood floors am i going to go vinyl plank am i going to rebrand whatever this thing is to, to to be accessible to not be so uncool that no one will even give it a shot Um, I think that's all good and fine. So what would you do? And I, and I told you at the start of this episode that I would tell you what I would do if cool wasn't an issue. So I used to do a lot of coaching. This is really vulnerable and uncomfortable for me. Just as I'm saying it, I'm like, I don't like this. Um, but I used to do a lot of coaching and, um, and I, and it's one of my favorite things of all time. Uh, it's something that I just totally. I don't know, there's not much creatively or just vocationally that I feel as passionate about, but I quit doing it for a lot of reasons, partially just busyness. You know, I have a lot of different pieces to what I do, but also because when I first started out and I first started coaching, it wasn't as much of a cultural phenomenon. And I think there just became a time where I thought, This is the kind of concrete floor that has such a complicated, you know, it's so complicated out in the real world. And if you're a coach and you're a great coach, more power to you because going full circle back to the start, um, sometimes you need more than a story to get outside perspective. And what I actually think about coaching is that if Michael Jordan needed Phil Jackson, um, pretty much all high performers, especially everything that has to do with like the mental game of something, which it, 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 sports is a mental game, but it's still a, a physical game. If there's any mental game, true mental game, I think it's creativity. And I think it's, you know, the amount of people that get stuck in their own heads, stuck in their own perspective, stuck, not being able to see themselves from a distance is almost everyone in the creative world. And so I think that it is a world that really could benefit from a thriving um, coaching industry. And I've seen people like Rick Rubin do some super interesting things. And uh, I think everyone has different opinions about him. But I've always found him to be an interesting person because to me, for years, I've thought of him as like, this is a creative coach for mu- musicians, but he's put on the layer of carpet of producer, and he calls himself a producer, but that that's a way in which that industry has allowed that that is needed, but maybe potentially um, that they have would have more complicated relationship with the idea of coaching. And I've tried to come up with different versions of that for myself, and maybe I will, or maybe I'll just own it, and I'll get a whistle, and I'll get a hat, and I'll be like, coach... Um, uh, Calhoun on on Greece and and say we're gonna rip them, we're gonna tear them, we're gonna rip them to shreds, and then we're gonna come home and ring that victory bell, like we've always wanted to. Um, <laughs> I've seen that movie a million times, but yeah, that that that's that's my answer. Uh, and so you're called to adventure today is to figure out what your answer is. it for another episode of creative pep talk uh i got to meet i got to see some people that listen to the show recently for the first time in a while and it just reminded me how how much i love doing the show how grateful i am to grace your ears and uh and it's just i feel so connected to, to y'all through this show and, and through the being a companion on your creative journey and for this podcast to be your creative journey companion. So thanks for letting me come with. And uh, yeah, and thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Connor Jones of Penning Beautiful for editing the show so beautifully and for the, the sound effects and sound design and extras that he brings to the table Uh, Massive thanks to podcast assistants, peoples, (laughs) Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, and Katie Chandler. And uh, thanks to all of you. So um, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up.